Ghosts of Christmas Presents, a seasonal story, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 2 Let us pause for a moment and consider this Mr. Benedict Nail, who cannot stand his neighbours, their music and Christmas, Middle-aged, middle-class, middle-management. A man who sits quite in the middle of his own life, like a nut in a shell, so surrounded by defences against the vicissitudes and unpredictabilities of life that he has also to shut himself off from the blessings and unlooked-for serendipities. However, even if he is not inclined to be, let us be fair. He is not entirely mistaken in his belief that the world can be an unfair, unhappy and inhospitable place, that one should go with care through it, for there are indeed plenty of people who might wish us ill, or perhaps worse, wish us nothing, not even have the common courtesy to see us as people, and simply crush us under the onward force of their lives like so much litter. He ought to know this well, for he might well be one of them. And even in its joys life can be merciless. The pleasures in which we indulge destroy the body and the passions that inspire us, the mind. You might think each man is in a battle to the death with what he loves, and if he doesn't kill it, it will certainly do for him. And so here is Benedict Nail, in the middle, going with care and moderation. He takes care with his money, spending sparely and only on himself, saving for an old age bound to be as sparse as his youth. He takes care with his heart, shielding it from strong emotions that might exercise it. He takes care with his life living within his means and inside the lines, everything in moderation, nothing with enthusiasm. A man who has so avoided risk that he has also missed every chance, every chance to be disappointed and every chance to be delighted, every chance to fail and every chance to succeed, every chance for sorrow and every chance to be happy. A man for whom Christmas, to be specific, looks like a trick, a con, a con, what's more, that's being run by the marks on themselves. Each of them deceiving themselves that the world really can be merry for at least one day a year, that they might, by spending money, be able to adequately express affection for their fellows, that they themselves might secretly, after all, turn out to be good. Every year they jig out this bill of goods, and every year they buy it, and every year Benedict Nail looks down on them and chuckles sorrowfully to himself, the only man who sees the truth. Indeed, here he comes now, with that weary smile on his lips, picking a careful middle way across the courtyard of his apartment building. It is Christmas Eve, but there is little to smile about. London is in lockdown against a pandemic, and the country has been told to lock its doors against friend and family too. No caroling. No shopping, no jollity. A miserable Christmas for many then, like the December weather, grey and featureless. But Benedict Nail is happy, moderately so. He doesn't have to be anywhere, doesn't have to see anyone. The only present he needs to buy is the bottle of whisky he's just fetching back from the shop, and that is for him. Unencumbered by responsibilities, unembarrassed by emotion, quite alone and serene, it is in many ways his perfect Christmas. There remains only two things that can spoil it. One is the Christmas Day video call on which his brother is insisting. 
The other, waiting for him on the doorstep of his flat, is a present. Presents make Benedict Nail uneasy. He would tell you that this is because they are part of the con, revealing what pretends to be a genuine display of community into an empty gesture of consumerism, that all they ever show is not affection, but instead, in their unthought liberality of inappropriateness, how little the giver understands the recipient, or cares to. Of course, what he really doesn't like about presents is quite the opposite, that they represent a relationship. Someone gives you a present, you must then give them one. You must then think of them as a person, a person with opinions and tastes and wants and delights. You are now bound to them in friendship, or, at the very least, a festive conviviality, an acknowledgement that almost all people of any age like pleasant surprises, a gesture of common and warm humanity, the entire season then wrapped up in a bow. And here is one now. Hurriedly and awkwardly wrapped in this case, a corner of paper already peeling away from the odd shape underneath. There is a label on it. It's from upstairs. The flat he went to complain to yesterday. The woman with the Christmas music, by way of an apology. He opens his door carefully, slipping in before his cat can escape. He tears off the rest of the paper carelessly as he walks down the hall, and putting the bottle of whiskey on the writing desk, stands and looks at what he has unwrapped. It is a little wooden figure, crudely made, he thinks, the sort of thing people call traditional and handmade and artisan. It is a little old woman in a ragged dress with a hood pulled over her head, leaving just a comically large crooked nose sticking out. In one hand she holds a staff, in the other, in the other, something hidden in the folds of her robe that might be a knife. One big foot pokes out from under the hem of her skirts. There is a little brass eyelet screwed into the top of her head. She is a decoration. A Christmas decoration, he supposes. Something traditional. It will not come as a surprise to learn that Benedict Nail does not have a Christmas tree. The cat bats at a long tear of paper and he drops it on the floor for her to play with. He looks at the mantelpiece which is already covered in ornaments. A little ivory owl, a small china house, the skull of a rodent, a hooded Spanish figure. No room for it there, even if he wanted it on display, which he does not. He opens the bottom drawer of the writing desk, which is full of superannuated cables and plugs that he will never get round to throwing away, and squeezes the figurine in there, hurriedly jamming the door shut again before the tangle inside can explode out. It has made him think, however. What it has made him think is how much he hated the family ritual of dressing the Christmas tree, how annoying his little brother was, and how every year the process would devolve into an argument that always ended with Benedict getting into trouble. This memory makes him so angry that he picks up the phone and calls his brother to make a defiantly feeble excuse for not participating in the video call tomorrow. His brother, to his infinite credit, remains irritatingly calm and even-tempered about the whole thing, to the extent that a dispassionate observer might conclude that he is actually himself slightly relieved not to have to talk to his sibling on Christmas Day. This does not occur to Benedict, however. In fact, he is so pleased with himself at having finally escaped this one remaining seasonal chore that he forgets entirely about the ornament left for him by his neighbour, and he also forgets entirely about the wrapping paper he dropped for the cat. 
This means that when he gets up to go to the kitchen, he isn't looking for it, which is why he steps on it, skids, slips, hits his head against the wooden arm of his chair and falls to the living room floor, a dead weight and knocked quite out cold. You have been listening to The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. The music is The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin MacLeod of filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lenman. You can find more of our stories at christmasstories.co.uk or wherever you found this podcast and we'd be grateful if you could rate and review us while you're there as well. If you're feeling really generous, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash christmasstories where a subscription will get you versions of this story without all these annoying credits and lots of other exclusive material. But all we really want you to do is to listen to the next instalment of the Ghosts of Christmas Presents. (laughs) 